Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 171 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about stock options. And we're going to be talking about them in a lot of different contexts. We're going to be talking about them in the context of just basic calls and puts. We're going to be talking about them when it comes to uh, the type of compensation that you might receive from your employer, which may be uh, some of the most valuable information uh, for you. And then we're going to talk about that compared to other compensation techniques that your employer may choose to um, you know, have for you and your coworkers uh, and how to kind of parse through uh, what you should or should not be doing and how it may or may not be beneficial to you. So I I think uh, this episode can go a long way towards uh, really informing what you hold in your portfolio over the long term. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. That'd be greatly appreciated. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day day. And then if you need somebody to help you to create a financial plan that's specific to you and your family's needs and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just go to my website, www.mnowithdylan.com. Click on the work with Dylan tab and you can choose the financial coaching session type that would work best for you. And we can begin pushing towards your long-term financial goals together. Now today I want to talk about options, stock options, uh, and why options are important Uh, But I really want to explain to you what options are. Uh, That way, if it comes up throughout the course of your investing life uh, or if it comes up in your uh, compensation negotiations or something of the like, then you know what you're talking about uh, and you know how to deal with these particular financial instruments. So options are really, really simple uh, at their baseline. They can get as complex as you want to make them uh, when you know used in groups uh, or used in different situations. But uh, options in general are very, very simple, and especially options on shares of stock. Okay, so let's just start there. What is an option? Well, an option is exactly what it sounds like. It gives you the option to do something Uh, with a particular financial security. And we're going to focus mainly on stocks, right? Uh, It gives you an option to do something with a share of stock or with multiple shares of stock. And there are really two basic types of options uh, that we talk about. And those two basic types are call options and put options. And call options uh, at their baseline, they give you the option or the right to buy a share of stock or uh, multiple shares of stock at a given price. They give you the right to buy, okay? So basically what you do is you purchase this option. The option has some cost or premium. Uh, You purchase this option, and when you purchase the option, it gives you the right to purchase shares of a particular stock uh, by a given time, right? Options have maturity dates. It gives you the right to buy at a given what they call strike price uh, by a particular time. Okay. So in its simplest form, right, let's say that there's a stock trading uh, at $100 a share and you buy a call option on that stock with a strike price of $110 a share uh, with a maturity date of three months from now. Okay, so I know I'm throwing a lot on you here, but uh, just try to track with me and it will make a lot of sense. So uh, trading for 100 now, 
110 is the strike price on your option. You have the right to buy at 110 and the maturity date is three months from today. And so you pay some premium today. You, you pay something in order to get that option, that right to buy. So you pay for that option. And then if the price of the stock, which is currently 100, exceeds 110, right, which is the strike price, is the price at which you have the right to buy at, right? If it exceeds that price, then you are what we call in the money. And the reason that you are in the money uh, is because Let's say the stock increases to 115 a share and it was trading for 100, but you have the right to buy at 110 and it's currently trading for 115. Then that means you can immediately buy at 110 because you have the right to do so based on your option and then turn around and immediately sell the shares for 115 at a profit. So you are in the money. But at $100 a share, when the shares were trading for only 100, you were what we call out of the money because uh, you could not have profitably exercise that option. You couldn't have profitably used that option in order to uh, get shares for less than what they're currently worth. And that's basically the, the whole idea of a call option. You want to uh, have these options, these rights to buy, and you want uh, the right to buy at a lower price than what the stock is currently uh, trading for. Now, obviously it is going to be more expensive uh, to get the right to buy once the price has already exceeded the strike price, right? So typically what happens uh, is you will buy it in the situation like I just outlined, uh, where the current price is less than the strike price and you let that current price exceed past the strike price and then uh, you may exercise it sometime in the future in order to have shares of that stock at a cheaper price than what they were currently trading at. And the benefit of doing this is that you can end up uh, having exposure to stocks cheaper than actually just going through and buying the shares, right? You can uh, try to get the upside potential of the call option uh, by you know letting it ride and seeing if the stock will increase over uh, the value of the strike price. And if it does, then you can buy the shares and you can benefit. If it does not, then you're only out uh, the cost, the premium of the option, uh, and you're not out uh, the whole price of the share and whatever uh, you're able to sell the share for in the future. So that is a call option, okay? And I said there's two types, call options and put options. Well, put options are just the opposite. Put options give you the right or the option to sell a share of stock or sell some financial security. But again, we're going to focus on shares of stock. Uh, you can sell some financial security uh, for more than what it is currently trading for in the market. So Again, I will work through this as an example. So let's say again that a stock is trading at 100, okay? And you think that this stock is going to go down in value. And you're holding the stock, and maybe you don't just think it's going to go down in value, but you want uh, some protection to the downside, right? You want to protect uh, your principal. You don't want to uh, just ride the stock down as it goes down. So what you may do, you may buy a put option, right? Or the right to sell a share of stock or multiple shares of stock, and you may buy a put option with a strike price of let's say 90, right? So that's you saying, I don't want the price of my shares to go below 90. And so you may buy that with a strike price, right? Again, you pay a premium to receive this option. You pay a price in order to have the option to do this, okay? And then if the price goes below 90, you are in the money, right? Because then you can sell the shares for 90 when maybe it's trading for, let's say, 82, 
right? You can sell the shares for 90 and you can make uh, more than what somebody who sold in the market at 82 could make. So you're in the money there and you're out of the money when the price is above the strike price with the put option. So this gives you downside protection and or uh, it is a bet on the price of something going down and you being able to profit on the price of something going down. Again, uh, this allows you to have that type of exposure uh, without doing like a full short of shares. And we've talked a bit about shorting before and I'm not going to get too much into that, uh, but it's going to allow you to have exposure to betting on the downside of something uh, without having to short something, without having to go all in with the full price. So um, that is a benefit of a put option. Uh, and these are the two types, calls and puts. Well, my focus is going to be specifically on call options, okay? Because call options uh, are far more used by the public, right? Are far more used by people like you and me. And one of the biggest places that they are used is in the way of employee compensation. And maybe not you know, the normal employee, right? Uh, at on a wide scale because yes there are normal employees and there's a reason I'm, I'm doing this episode is because there are normal employees who do receive stock option compensation but also right people as you move up the ladder equity compensation stock compensation of this type is more and more common okay and so I want you to be able to know how to uh, deal with something like this and especially if you work for some uh, publicly traded company, some company who does have a, a publicly traded stock, then this could be a reality for you. But it could also be a reality for you that you have some other type of equity compensation. We'll talk about a few of those as we go through as well. But the stock options that you receive or that you may receive in your compensation package from your job uh, are typically going to be call options, not just typically, almost exclusively call options. And so in a lot of workplaces, these are called ESOs, employee stock options. Okay, so you may see ESOs. And so if you see ESOs on your compensation uh, package, then this is going to be a part of it. So employee stock options are a type of equity compensation granted by companies to their employees and executives. So rather than these companies giving you full shares of their stock, which we'll get to uh, them doing that here in a moment, they will give you the right to buy these shares of stock. They'll give you the option, right? They'll give you these call options, which are the right to buy these shares, uh, and they will give them to you uh, as a part of your compensation. So these options come in the form of regular call options and give the employee the right to buy the company stock at a specific price for a finite period of time. So just like I was saying, uh, call options and put options have maturities, okay? So will these employee stock options. So the terms of the ESOs will be fully spelled out uh, for an employee in the stock option agreement. In general, the benefits of the stock options uh, are realized if a company stock rises uh, and rises maybe even quickly, right? If the company stock rises quickly, uh, then you can be able to exercise these call options and make a lot of money on the back end. So in working for a publicly traded company or company that has stock outstanding, uh, there are benefits that can be uh, given to employees in the form of equity compensation plans. And uh, these can all have their ups and downs. They can all have uh, their benefits and they can all have uh, their downsides. But ESOs are only one type of those. So uh, let's talk about the other types. So there's really four that I want to jump into here. The first is restricted stock grants. 
So what this is, these give employees the right to acquire or receive shares once certain criteria are attained, like working for a defined number of years or meeting performance targets. So uh, if you work for a company for a certain amount of years, uh, then they can give you uh, these restricted stock units, right? These restricted stock grants. Uh, if you meet certain targets, if you are there for a certain amount of time, if you you know work your way up the ladder in the proper way, then they will uh, give you these restricted stock grants. And these can be really useful because uh, obviously they're giving you the shares of stock. And if the shares of stock go up in value, then uh, there can be a lot of benefit there. And we'll talk later about whether or not you should actually hold these shares or not. Okay. And then there are stock appreciation rights, SAR, SARS, right? Which SARS not in the way of uh, coronavirus or uh, COVID or, or any type of uh, sickness. No, not that type of SARS, uh, but the stock appreciation rights. So SARS provide the right to the increase in the value of a designated number of shares. Such increase in value is payable in cash or company stock. Okay, so uh, you can, again, uh, receive benefits from the upside of your company stock, uh, which is uh, very beneficial to uh, employees and uh, it can be beneficial to employers as well because they don't have to pay you in the way uh, of salary but they can just uh, give you the benefits of ownership in the company if the stock goes up in value then phantom stock so this pays a future cash bonus equal to the value of a defined number of shares no legal transfer of share ownership typically takes place although the phantom stock may be convertible to actual shares if defined trigger events Occur. So what does this look like? Well, this looks like uh, they will you know, kind of determine how many shares they would give you uh, if they were going to give you shares of stock. And then they'll give you the value in cash of those shares. And so that's why it's phantom stock because they don't give you stock, but they give you the amount of money that you could use to buy shares of their stock. And uh, again, this could be beneficial for you to buy their shares of stock. And again, we'll talk here in a moment about whether you should do that or not. And so uh, this is a, a cash compensation uh, and it can allow you uh, to get some benefit from the upside of the company stock. And then something that is really, really common uh, when it comes to these uh, stock purchase plans or equity plans are employee stock purchase plans. And these plans give employees the right to purchase company shares, usually at a discount. And the discount's typically 15 to 20% below market value, which again, uh, can be extremely beneficial if the value of your company stock goes up over time. So in the broadest terms possible, these equity compensation plans, they all give employees and these stakeholders an equity incentive to build the company and share in its growth and success, right? Uh, in finance and in business alike, we talk a lot about what's called agency problems. And agency problems arise when you uh, have a, a split in the uh, incentives of the ownership and of the managers of the company or of those who work within the company. But if you can align their incentives, uh, then you can get everything working in uh, the right way, or at least that is the theory. And so by using these equity compensation plans, what companies are trying to do is they're trying to make it to where their workers uh, are willing to work for the good of the company and work hard and try to put all of their, their good into making the company better because they will also benefit from the company doing better, right? It aligns their incentives. Okay, so for employees, the key benefits of any type of equity compensation plan are an opportunity to share directly in the company's success through stock holdings, 
you have the pride of ownership, so you're you're motivated. You want to be productive. You want to do good because uh, you own part of the company. Uh, it provides a tangible representation of how much your contribution is worth to your employer, right? Because they're giving you a certain percentage of the company or a right to purchase a certain percentage of the company. And then depending on the plan, uh, it may offer the potential for tax savings upon sale or the disposal of shares, okay? And so the benefits to the employers, right? The, the employers also have benefits is that it's a key tool to recruit the best and brightest in an increasingly integrated global economy uh, where the worldwide competition for top talent is fierce, right? Uh, so uh, a lot of companies like Google's, like Facebook's, like Apple's, right? They are giving out a lot of equity compensation because uh, that really aligns their incentives and it gets uh, a lot of those good recruits in, a lot of those good people uh, that can really further their mission. And then it boosts employee job satisfaction and financial well-being by providing lucrative financial incentives, right? Because uh, if you're given restricted stock units and uh, your company blows up and you hold those shares of stock, uh, then you can become very, very wealthy just by holding the shares that your company gives you. Uh, but again, we'll talk more about uh, whether or not you should be holding those shares or not. And then it incentivizes employees to help the company grow and succeed. We talked about that a moment ago, and it may be used as a potential exit strategy for owners in some cases, okay? And so when it comes to stock options as equity compensation, there's really two main types. There are incentive stock options, ISOs, or non-qualified stock options, NSOs. And so incentive stock options, uh, those are known as statutory or qualified options, and they're generally only offered to key employees and top management. Like I said earlier, a lot of this is concentrated in higher level employees, and they receive preferential tax treatment in many cases as the IRS treats gains on such options as long-term capital gains. And for uh, a lot of individuals, paying long-term capital gains can be very beneficial because it is lower than your income tax rate. And as you make more and more money, you want to always be paying less than your income tax rate, if at all possible. And then non-qualified stock options, the NSOs can be granted to employees at all levels of a company, as well as board members and consultants. Uh, these are known as non-statutory stock options. Profits on these are considered ordinary income and are taxed as such. So if you have any type of profit on uh, a stock option in this type of way, uh, then it will be treated as ordinary income tax. Okay, so it's very, very important. Now, uh, a lot of these option plans, uh, they have vesting schedules uh, in the same way that a lot of 401ks, 403bs have vesting schedules, meaning uh, they may give you these options, uh, but you aren't able to uh, take them with you when you leave, or you aren't able to cash them in and take the money with you when you leave uh, until you work there a certain amount of time or until certain benchmarks are met. And so you must be vested in a lot of cases. Now, it's important to understand when it comes to taxation that an option grant in itself, so being given stock options, uh, is not a taxable event, right? You're not faced with immediate tax liability when the options are granted. It's not like income. It's not like money that is coming in in forms of checks, right? But usually, but not always, the exercise price of the ESOs is set at the market price of the company stock on the day of the option grant. So this can be beneficial to you and this can allow you to uh, make a lot of money on these options. But 
Taxation begins at the time of exercise. Once you exercise the option, uh, then taxation begins. The spread or the difference between the exercise price and the market price or the strike price and the market price is known as the bargain element in tax parlance and is taxed at ordinary income tax rates because the IRS considers it a part of your compensation in the same way of your salary or income. And then the sale of the acquired stock triggers another taxable event. Okay, And so if the employee sells the acquired shares for less than or up to one year after the exercise, the transaction is treated as short-term capital gain is taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And if the acquired shares are sold more than one year after exercise, it would qualify for lower capital gains tax rate on whatever gains you made on that particular stock. Right, So you can see that there are taxable events around this. So it's really similar in, in form, right? to making a certain amount of compensation, right? Whatever gain you make or spread you make on the particular option, and then investing that compensation, that income into a share of stock, and then having to pay certain capital gains on that share of stock or, or on those shares of stock. And so um, it's just a different way in which employers kind of, they don't force you into this place, uh, but they give you these choices, they give you these options to align your incentives with theirs, uh, and hopefully uh, you can benefit over the long term. Um, but you may want to benefit in a different way uh, than just holding the options to maturity and you know turning them into the company shares and holding the company shares for a long, long time. Right? This really puts you in a, a pigeonhole type situation because uh, you are forced into only holding the options that they give you at the price that they give them to you, and these are only for that company stock. Well, what if that company stock is no good? And even if it is good. Uh, what if the amount of compensation they're giving you in this way is very, very high? So let's talk a bit about this and whether or not you should actually uh, be taking advantage of these particular uh, compensation types. So here's my basic rule of thumb, and I think uh, this, this can be really beneficial to all of you out there. Uh, any equity compensation that you hold for your company uh, should not be more than 10% of your net worth. Okay, so I'll say that again. Any equity compensation that you have from your company should not be more than 10% of your net worth. Here's why, okay? I'm okay if you believe in the long-term prospects of your company, I'm not gonna tell you to not hold restricted stock units or to not uh, take advantage of the options that they give you or not uh, you know, try to get some of that compensation and allow uh, the value of it to go up over time. You can kind of look at it as something extra, right? Because it's not income that you're bringing home, so it's something a little different, something a little extra. But a lot of company stocks can be one, very volatile, right? Uh, it can be two, uh, that the stock's not very good at all because the company is not a good performer and you could make higher returns elsewhere. And for a lot of companies, you can make higher returns elsewhere. For a lot of companies that do this type of thing, you can make higher returns elsewhere because uh, a lot of the companies that give uh, stock out, that give out options can be extremely old and stable companies right? That don't grow really fast anymore. And some companies that do grow really fast also give these things out. But again, the volatility, the nature of the type of shares they're going to give you uh, might not be something that you're extremely interested in over the long term. And it's not something that you want to dominate your portfolio. So let me just give you an example, right? If you worked for Tesla and you were given a lot of Tesla restricted stock units or uh, options, and the past year and a half has occurred where the stock has gone up over 700%, then you have seen a vast increase 
in the value of the equity compensation that you were given, which is fantastic, right? It's absolutely awesome, right? Now, the stock is very volatile, but it is awesome that you have gotten that upside. But now you're looking up and the vast majority of what you have, let's say you're a younger individual who hasn't saved a whole lot for retirement just yet, the vast majority of what you have is in Tesla stock, is in this extremely volatile one company, right? You're taking a lot of single stock risk. You may need to diversify away some of that single stock risk. So uh, if what you have in equity compensation is more than 10% of your net worth, then I would cash in some of that and I would go ahead and invest it elsewhere. Do not use it uh, as some type of income, right? Don't use it, even though, you know, it's going to be similar to getting income, right? It's going to be taxed as ordinary income. Uh, if you just go ahead and cash it in right as you get it or whatever, right? Uh, or you may have to pay some capital gains tax on some restricted stock units or whatever, right? You're going to pay those taxes, but then I would go ahead and reinvest it into a diversified group uh, of mutual funds, ETFs, a diversified group of stocks, whatever, right? You, your investing plan is, uh, I would incorporate it into that and not just be so heavy into your company stock, right? I'm okay with getting the upside of your company stock, but be willing to take some off the table so you're not so heavily invested uh, into that particular company. Look, we've all seen this before. We've seen people uh, in companies that were some of the biggest companies in the world, some of the brightest companies in the world at the time, uh, hold almost exclusively that company stock as their nest egg and it went to zero, right? We've seen the Enrons of the world. We have seen uh, the Lehman Brothers of the world, right? Where a lot of those employees were holding those company shares uh, and those shares ended up going uh, basically to zero, right? Uh, so this can be uh, really, really beneficial to you, right? It's awesome that they give you this type of compensation. It's awesome that they give you the opportunity to do this, but do not get so caught up in the fact that you uh, have shares of your company stock and that they can go up in value over time. And maybe they have gone up in value or the options have gone up in value. Don't get so caught up in that, uh, that you don't allow yourself to see clearly uh, and know that your portfolio should not be as heavy in one stock and should not be so heavy in the compensation around that particular stock. Because uh, specifically with stock options, you can make a ton of money. You can uh, make a lot on stock options because uh, the cost of getting into the stock options so much lower than the actual return you can make on the back end. Uh, so you can make really good returns on stock options, but uh, there is more risk inherent to doing so. And there's a lot of single stock risk, a lot of volatility that can uh, really negatively impact the value of those options over time. Uh, and I want you to use your options uh, or the stock that you receive for the best thing that you can use it for. So like I said, you either need to be reinvesting it elsewhere if it's too much of your uh, compensation or no matter what amount of compensation that it is for you, uh, you should use it to do something like pay off debt, right? If you are in the part of the financial action plan, the fourth part where you are paying off debt or build up an emergency fund if you haven't built up an emergency fund yet, right? Use employer stock uh, compensation in order to do things like that right? Because it is icing on the cake. It is extra, right? We can get those things later and continue to hold them and, uh, you know, benefit from their value. But we need to make sure that we do the right things for us financially at the time. And if you wouldn't have chosen to buy the company stock or buy those options at that particular time, 
then you should sell them, right? Reverse engineer it. If you wouldn't have bought them, then you should sell them and use that money for what you would have used it for as a part of the financial action plan. Okay. Again, I'm okay with you holding the company stock and the stock options. I'm okay with you benefiting from these things because these can be really good uh, compensation benefits that your company offers, uh, but do not get so caught up in their potential value or the upside that you've already received that you're blinded by the, the fact that your portfolio is not as balanced as it should be. So I hope this helps you to learn a little bit more about options, about how they're used, about how they um, you know, can be used as compensation for you. And I hope you can make really good uh, decisions as far as how to use anything that is given to you as far as equity compensation for the good of you and your family over the long term. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, then be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms, and that'd be greatly appreciated. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long-form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to create a financial plan that is specific to you and your family's needs uh, and can keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can help you. Uh, just go to my website, www mnowithdylan.com. Click on the work with Dylan tab and you can choose the financial coaching session type that would work best for you. And we can begin pushing towards your long-term financial goals together. So tune in tomorrow as I talk about hedge funds uh, and how you know they have their fame, uh, but are they practical for your investing uh, or really for anyone's investing? And we'll dig into that and more in tomorrow's episode. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.